another great episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you don't know by now, my name is Christopher Brown and I will be your host today. Since the launch of the podcast, I've been asked the same thing. Why do you do this? And I give everyone the exact same answer. This podcast is about talking to people in an intimate setting and just having a discussion. Today, we often find ourselves becoming keyboard warriors and have forgotten the lost art of having a conversation. So with that in mind, I started this podcast to achieve one goal, get people talking again with no notes, no questions. I sit down with subjects to learn from them about them. Today, we continue our special series of episodes with the Green Party of Canada leadership candidates. And today, I sit down with Miriam Haddad. Miriam and I talk about her duty to serve, what socialism means to her, the Green New Deal, her vision for Canada, and why she got into the leadership election for the Green Party of Canada. So here now is Cross Border Interviews featuring Miriam Haddad. Awesome. Um, Miriam, I want to thank you very much for doing this. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, I, I will ask this first question that I've asked every competitor of yours and now you. Where does your sense of duty come from? Uh, from all the aspects of my um, identity. Um, I mean, um, I'm an immigrant that is born in uh, Syria uh, under a dictatorship. I came here at the age of five. Uh, with my parents, uh, we were all by ourselves in uh, in Canada without a uh, structure uh, support system around us. So um, uh, there was a huge toll. It had a huge toll immigration on my on my family and I. Um, uh, the fact that I am uh, a lesbian, uh, that I'm a millennial, that feels uh, um, that my whole future has been sacrificed uh, by the governments um, and. Um, there's so there's many reasons why I decided to uh, jump into politics. Also, I feel like we uh, we need representation. We need young people um, uh, representing going into politics uh, to show uh, to show the what what young people are supposed to do. Uh, to do, uh, they need to be get more involved. Um, and uh, yeah, so I feel like I need to inspire and and uh, uh, attract younger uh, uh, younger people and. Uh, basically the millennials and the Gen Z's that will be the, the biggest block of voters during the next election. Um, yeah. So did, did your mother and father have a political uh, uh, background? Were they political growing up or is it sort of, are you sort of the uh, oddball out in your family of being the political active one? Yeah, that's it. No, I'm the, I'm the only one. My parents are were civil engineers uh, in Syria and uh, they were never politically involved in any way. Uh, and, um, you know, when they arrived here, they, they weren't necessarily uh, excited to get into politics or to, to participate or being involved in politics because, um, you know, when you live under a dictatorship, you, you are scared to get involved politically. Um, so it took time, you know, it took time for my parents to, uh, to adapt and, and become more open to, uh, uh, to, the, to the Canadian politics. And now my, my father, who's a taxi driver in Montreal, uh, every time that he has a client, uh, he speaks about the Greens and uh, why uh, people should vote for us. And uh, so, yeah, he is. Uh, uh, he's now involved in politics. So when did you get your political start? What Do you remember what year it was? Do you remember the the issue that sort of went, I need to get involved because of this issue? Uh, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I got involved politically by accident, I could say. Uh, last August, uh, there's the uh, president of the Quebec wing of the Green Party of Canada. Uh, his name is Ralph Shane. Uh, I work with him um, on many of my files, uh, my re- the refugee claims. I'm actually an immigration lawyer, and um, um, I represent refugees from uh, uh, Palestinian refugees uh, from Syria, from Yemen, like this, and and. A lot of people from the community, LGBTQ community. So he's one of um, uh, it's Middle Eastern uh, files, and he's he's an interpreter that works with me. He's like, you know what? Uh, you should jump into politics. I'm I'm sure you would love it, and I and I did. So I ran during the last elections, and um, the I last enjoyed it. Federal election yeah, or the provincial? Yeah, the last federal the last federal uh, election. 
So I spoke about a Quebec wing because we, we do have a, a Quebec wing in, uh, in, uh, in Quebec, uh, and it's, it's part of the, the Green Party of Canada, but it's a regional wing, basically. And um, yeah, so I ran, and I really loved it so much. I loved talking to people, uh, uh, door, no, door knocking. I loved it. I enjoyed it a lot to hear people's stories and um, what are their needs. Um, and um, yeah, and uh, I participated in some debates. I was lucky enough for the party to send me uh, to participate in, in quite important debates against um, uh, the, the big names of the liberals. You know, I did some uh, uh, debate against uh, Melanie Jolie, uh, against uh, um, um, Mark Miller. Uh, there's also uh, the transport minister that I did. Uh, Mark Garneau. Uh, yeah, Mark Garneau, exactly, exactly, against him. And, and you know what? Like every single time I felt like I had the last word. Um, uh, against against my opponents and um, uh, it was super fun uh, I, and I I think it, it matters because it shows that I'm not intimidated by any any opponent uh, and which is uh, good because yeah. there's going to be a lot of questions that I'm going to be asking through this and you're sort of <laughs> hitting on all of them while we're talking right now which is great but we'll dive deep into a few of them um, you talked about how you ran in the 2019 election yeah um, Traditionally, the Green Party of Canada usually does extremely well at the beginning of any election because people want to vote for a certain party. By the end of the elect by the end of the election, within a week of the election, people start to strategic vote. They want to vote against the conservatives, against the liberals. And then you see the third or fourth parties, like the Green Parties, who are traditionally polling in 10, 11%, go down to about 7%. Mm-hmm. How are you, as, a, as the potential leader of the Green Party of Canada, going to connect with Canadians to keep them aligned with the Green Party and not go out and strategic vote, but vote for their conscience? conscience? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we're at this stage that we need to do uh, politics uh, differently. And I feel like uh, the po- population with this uh, COVID-19 crisis, I feel like they're going to get out of it with... Uh, another mindset. Um, they, they they will realize that um, it's decisions that were taken by like past governments that uh, made us go through this crisis and realize how much of our our, our safety net is is very weak. Um, and I think that most people in this country vote voted before for the least bad option, and um, because they, they they have not been given the best. You know, uh, we need to make sure that we are really clear on what we stand for. And, and this is why I feel like we missed the boat the last time. We weren't able to um, uh, make people understand, make pe- Canadians understand that we are the most progressive party and that, that we are the party of progress uh, and that, that we are the most caring and um, um, uh, the most innovative. And um, I feel like the other parties in Quebec, the Bloc Québécois, the NDP and the Liberals have been better uh, than us at doing that and at, at passing the message. So um, uh, I feel like it was a problem with communications. And um, uh, like, come on, last fall, there were, there were 1.5 million people uh, in the streets demonstrating for, for in the environment. And not, it's, they, they haven't, some of them voted for us, but not all of them. When we had the biggest momentum, uh, the environment was the, the biggest, was one of the most important issues that were discussed during the last elections. But we weren't able to, to uh, take advantage of that. And, Necessarily, there was a problem with our communications and um, how how the um, how the party was centralized uh, on running the, the the campaign on a communication base. So this needs to be changed, and we need to learn from our mistakes and do better. Because the reality is, um, my generation and the next, uh, we don't. The status quo is just not something possible. Um, like we need change happening, and we need change for. For our future, I mean, like it's and the future is ours. At the end, uh, um, we need to take, to take our responsibilities and and um, and decide to to just go ahead. Another thing, another weakness that I that I that I think is happened during the last election is that we all the all the activists and the environmentalists and the, the people fighting for for for. Um, um, for social justice, uh, they they didn't really endorse us, or didn't they didn't feel like we um, uh, we were appropriate to to uh, to endorse as a party. 
Um, and I think it's because we were never able to be uh, their voice. Uh, this needs to be changed uh, too uh, for for people and for Canadians to vote for us. Uh, but it's something possible. And I know that we have a lot of potential. Um, something uh, that um, um, that we can discuss later on, but I personally am, I go straight forward with, with the fact that I'm a, I'm a socialist. Uh, and I Which want- Oh, we will be talking about that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, know, I know that like sometimes uh, people feel like, I don't know, maybe uh, people that have been in politics for a long time feel shocked with this with this word. But I think nowadays it's it's not an issue anymore, but we'll discuss it later, like you said. Yeah. Um, so that election, um, I think uh, many people were surprised that uh, the Green Party didn't do as well as they were expected to do earlier on. But it what shocked a lot of people was uh, Elizabeth May announcing that she was going to step down as the leader of the Green Party of Canada. Mm-hmm. Um you decided, and in this, I, I, I think it's no uh, secret, you decided sort of late into the game that you were going to join the leadership uh, election. You decided in May that you were going to uh, join while your other competitors were joining in January, February, March. Mm-hmm. What, what took you a little bit longer to decide that uh, initial, yes, I'm going to run for the leadership? Um, the first time I was um, approached and, and encouraged to um to run uh, for the leadership. It was the first time it was in December. Um, and um, I thought about it and I was approached again. I was really encouraged to, to do so because they, they felt like I'm, that we need somebody like me that represents uh, Canada, tw- Canada of 2020 and um, um, that will be able to, to like something fresh in politics that hasn't happened before. Uh, so I was really encouraged to, to by comrades to do so. Uh, and, um, you know, like February arrived and I started like taking the decision uh, to, to go ahead. Uh, and, uh, you know, like there's a preparation around uh, campaigning for the leadership of a party. Um, I wanted to do better for the party and I wanted to present myself in a very professional way. So there is a whole branding and you can look at the other uh, candidates' uh, websites and how, uh, or launching videos. Uh, We see that the quality is is different. And then the COVID-19 crisis hits. So not only there wasn't any space with the media uh, to launch a campaign for someone like me, but also it's just very disrespectful. People people are dying um, like throughout the country. So it wasn't appropriate for me to launch the campaign back then. And now I feel like a lot of people are telling me, you know what, like this was the best decision taken. And I do have a communication team that I listen to. So it's, there's a whole team around me. It's not, I'm not all by myself. And, uh, uh, and I decided last minute to run. It's, it wasn't, a, uh, it wasn't in May that I decided to run. It was way before that. And I was just getting, we were just getting prepared. Um, and the team got bigger and bigger, so big that, that we, before even launching on the 22nd of May, uh, on, on the, uh, yeah, on the 22nd of May, uh, we were 30 and now we're, we're over 50 people. Uh, wow. There's over 50 people and uh, uh, all young people that are super excited. Uh, we received uh, donations that we did not expect. I mean, like the first uh, entrance fee of uh, just uh, um, uh, to, to give my, uh, my application in uh, was already paid by uh, do- donors that I, that I never spoke to. People really got excited with my candidacy and it's um, uh, I, I just feel like I uh, this sense of duty got even bigger with the launch and the reaction of people to this launch. So what have you heard uh, with COVID-19, the new making uh, campaigning uh, as difficult as it can be, um, you are now connecting like we are right now virtually uh, with Canadians from coast to coast to coast. So what are you hearing from them? Are you hearing what your, your message is of we need change, we need a new generation to take up the mantle and get out there and actually make that different change? Or what are you hearing? 
I, I do. This is this is what I've been hearing um, for sure. That the fact that I'm looking uh, through a camera instead of uh, um, having people in front of me, uh, it's a different way of campaigning. But at the end, the message goes. Uh, the goal, the, the message goes through. Um, uh, people want something different. Like they they are searching for new voices. Uh, they they want people that look like them. Uh, going into politics. And uh, this is part of the, I mean, like the, my vision, my vision is all about having, uh, uh, getting bigger, uh, having MPs that look like everyday Canadians instead of having career politicians. Um, we see, again, that's another thing. And, and this is what's encouraging for a lot of people is that we see around the world, a lot of young women um, uh, around the world, um, outspoken women taking charge uh, in the political space. So we have AOC uh, to the south, uh, but further, further abroad, there's MPs uh, like uh, Mari Black, uh, in Scotland and Chloe Swabrick in uh, in New Zealand. Um, not to mention that um, uh, during this crisis, I mean the COVID nineteen crisis, the, the it's it's the young women uh, in in some countries that that were the most successful fighting this crisis, like Sana Marin in uh, in Finland and and Jacinda Harden uh, in New Zealand. So it's um, and they're all women in their thirties, and um, I feel like. We are there. Uh, we are at this moment and of time that we we need uh, millennials uh, taking power and taking responsibility. And I think Canada uh, needs um, something fresh. And with a progressive party like the Greens, um, which is supposed to be the the, the party of the of the young Canadians, um, uh, to have someone uh, like me. Is, would be the best example to show that there's a safe space for 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 people like me, and uh, it only it will only encourage inclusivity and diversity in Canadian politics, and uh, I think a lot of members are realizing that, and a lot of people are attracted into our our party because of that also. Now you you mentioned a word that has been on the top of everyone's mind over the last uh, ten days, or probably week to ten days. Diversity, uh, the big thing that's happening in the world right now. And I usually, when I talk to candidates, I, I usually find something that's going on. But the biggest thing that's going on right now is the Black Lives Matter protests that are sweeping the nation, sweeping the world. Um, we have politicians in Canada, we have people in Canada right now who are divided on if Canada is racist, mm. uh, if there's a systematic racism in Canada. Mm. I've I got to ask the question to you, and you probably expected this or you didn't expect this, but do you believe that Canada has a systematic racism problem? Uh, I do. I do. I do believe so. And uh, it's not only with uh, police officers um, um, doing some uh, racial profiling. It's th that's one problem. Uh, but there's um, also um, like the access to uh, to jobs, um, um, like carrying a Middle Eastern name was never something that was easy for me. Uh, maybe I'm candid and a bit, um, um, I, I think very positively as a person, uh, but, and, uh, and I am so thankful with all the opportunities that I got and, uh, it, like during my life. Um, but there was, uh, and a lot more people struggle with, with other problems. Uh, but there is, there is sex, uh, racism that happens and there's sexism that happens and, and there is also intersectional racism that happens. There's like many, some, some people are, are people of color and they're also parts of the LGBTQ community. Uh, sometimes they are transsexuals. Like, like there are many levels of how someone can live uh, racism uh and sexism and homophobia so that's very important that the uh, now that the subject is open and people are uh, talking more and more about it uh it needs to be discussed and i'm happy that now the discussion is open about it even in canada um uh, like we live we do live in a multicultural country uh it's a big country but it's not true that there's no systemic uh, racism 
That's true. Uh, I, I would agree wholeheartedly on that. Uh, when people say that there isn't, I, I shake my head. And we saw recently with comments that the former leader of the opposition, Stockwell Day, said that he never he doesn't think uh, Canada is a racist country. But you look at the past, even with Indigenous issues, uh, we have never treated our Indigenous communities correctly. And we'll talk about Indigenous issues here in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. But um, the the We'll jump into some policy here, mm. uh, but before we do that, I, I have one question. I want I want to I, I asked it to all the candidates so far, and they all give me different answers, and you'll probably give me a different answer as well. How does someone from Montreal, who's an immigrant to this country, connect with Canadians from coast to coast to coast? Because to win a government, you cannot just connect with Green Party voters. You have to connect with Liberals. You have to connect with NDPs. You have to connect with the Bloc. You have to connect with Conservative voters. How do you connect with them when we are in a such divided era of politics? Oh, well, I do. I just connect with them. And I've um, connected, uh, uh, I've worked with people from the block. Uh, I've worked, uh, like, I mean, like, all, all my old uh, co-workers are all uh, from the, the Parti Québécois and from the bloc Québécois. Um, I've, and I connect with them and I am encouraged by them. And I connect with people from all over the place. And what's great is I connect with people uh, from the Middle East, I, I connect with uh, people of color, I connect with the LGBTQ community, uh, I connect with a bunch of people in Canada, and that's what's great uh, about a candidate like me, it's because there's so many um, aspects of my uh, of my identity uh, that connect me uh, with so many people, um, and this is why I'm, I'm receiving such a, a great um, uh, outcome uh, with the with the beginning and with the launching and, and the excitement that I'm getting around. So um, uh, like even during my, I, I, I connect with conservatives also. And uh, like I, so I, I've, I just connect with everybody. Okay, uh, understandable. The question though then becomes, we the premier of Alberta uh, two months ago, uh, roughly seems like two months ago, might have been three or four weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, said that he does not want to work with any party or any person who I'm paraphrasing here, any person or any party who wants to close the oil sands and uh, pot- potentially hurt the Alberta economy. How do you work with a party like that? And First off, how do you work with someone who is so adamantly against potentially a party who's coming in to potentially close down uh, an economic engine of the province? Uh, yes. Uh, well, you know, the problem is it's the, uh, I think uh, Elizabeth May said it herself, oil is dead. And uh, the reality is, is like there's big decisions that will be taken. Um, and it's for the well-being of Canadians, and it's the, for the well-being of the planet. So um, uh, I don't think Mr. I think Mr. Kenny is quite aware of that, and um, he's struggling to to make this industry survive, uh, even though that it's going to be failing very, uh, very soon. Uh, Unfortunately, but what's important is that we uh, we need to take into consideration the workers uh, and to create um, um, jobs for Canadians, uh, a replacement to this industry, and uh, that's the plan for that's the plan of the Green Party of Canada. So, do you have a plan to transition potential oil workers from an oil industry job to potential green infrastructure job, more green uh, friendly jobs? Of course, of course, there's uh, there's not there's many um, um, like there's uh, well we're gonna we, we need to 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 build uh, an efficient bus and rail service system uh, that goes into rural uh, and and remote communities. Uh, there's um, uh, the network needs to be even the region like regionally the the network the rail networks 
need to be uh, better. Uh, there's the infrastructure of the high-speed rail that, that wants to be built, and it's it's something that was presented in our platform. Um, uh, there's also, you know, we, we want to encourage um, a different way of, of farming, but uh, there are um, uh, there's this shift into a green economy. It's going to be done with uh, uh, with uh, renewable energy and public transportation, right? So um, it creates meaningful work, and it's going to be um, uh, it's meaningful work in, in all sorts of fields, including manufacturing, construction, and uh, renovations. So um, uh, there's also the information technology sectors. Uh, so it will compensate for the job loss uh, that will happen from the fossil fuel sector. Uh, so um, uh, I see it. Uh, I see it happening, and this is. What it's all about, like I'm, um, it's it's part of uh, it's part of my platform, and it's um, it's not something that is part of the policies of the Green Party. Uh, there's mis- mission possible that was presented during the last elections, uh, but it's possible to to go into um, uh, to go ahead with a Green New Deal that creates jobs, uh, and and for us to transition into a green economy, we don't have a choice but to do so. My generation doesn't have a choice, and I think Mr. Kenny needs to understand that. You, uh, when researching uh, your platform and your issues that you raise, uh, you like the uh, member from, uh, I, I, for, I forget what district she's from down in the States, from, but AOC down in the States, mm-hmm. she's in favor of a Green New Deal. Mm-hmm. You're in favor of a Green New Deal. Mm-hmm. For those who are listening who don't know what a Green New Deal is, please mm-hmm. explain it in the words that you would want people to understand it in. Okay, so it's a... Um, it's a grassroots uh, movement uh, that started uh, with the um, um, with the indigenous communities. Okay, it's um, it's with the mindset that we need to take care of of the environment, uh, and while transitioning uh, into a green economy, we need to take care of everyone uh, that is involved uh, and the communities. So it's it's not only uh, a plan to fight climate change, but it's also a plan uh, to fight for for, for uh, social justice. Uh, I can describe it in uh, this is like a description that is very uh, uh, broad. And the plan, like I said, the the Green New Deal that I, I want to bring forward needs to be analyzed by all sorts of specialists. We need to do studies to see how to do it in Canada. And there are some organisms like organizations like Greenpeace that uh, um, that brought it forward. Uh, but there is now with uh, with getting out of the, of the COVID-19 crisis, we need to, to take into consideration also a just transition um, with uh, with all of this. So it's um, uh, we need to study it, you know, but uh, basically it's to to create jobs and to get into a green economy while taking care of everybody. Uh, and why did I mention the the indigenous communities? It's because they are the um, uh, they are the ones that will uh, protect uh, the environment. They are the ones that are uh, will that will be affected the most by climate change, and first. Um, they are also uh, they had the experience um, dealing with an apocalypse uh, by colonialism that has that is still ongoing, uh, but also by their children being taken away from them and, and placed into residences. Um, so they their experience uh, living apocalypse uh, is something that we need to embrace and, and to, to think about, you know, um, and this transition needs to be uh, done together and as equal uh, with the indigenous communities. We'll we'll jump into indigenous issues in a few minutes here, but I still want to talk about the Green New Deal a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, opposition critics would say to uh, uh, opposition critics to the Green New Deal would say that if a, a Green New Deal was implemented, it would raise the cost of living for everyone. What would you say to that? Um, I I don't I don't think so because we um, we will be having like. The, you know, like policies like the universal basic income, okay? Um, 
it works. It's, it, it is one of the policies that that can be, um, as I said, can be um, within the, the Canadian Green New Deal. Okay, if we uh, if this is presented, okay, and if it's something, it's one of our policies. We need to make sure that the infrastructure um, uh, and the public services are adequate for for this policy to be to be just for for everyone. Um, so uh, the and you're mentioning that the cost of living will be will be bigger, uh, but but nobody will be left behind. That's the thing. We're, we're not, we're not going to be living in a society where there's going to be poor people. And that's the objective uh, of a Green New Deal. I did would, the, would the Green New Deal increase the cost of the carbon levy that Justin Trudeau implemented last uh, during his first mandate? The carbon yeah. levy, carbon tax... It's not. It's not based on a carbon tax. Uh, uh, okay. Okay. Because I think it's another that, another type of economy completely. It has I nothing think, to do with the carbon tax. Uh, okay, and I think that's where people get confused because when you, when I talk to Albertans, they think Green New Deal means that the carbon levy is going to go up increasingly, and I'm not going to be able to afford it. So now that you've clarified it, thank you. But talking about the carbon tax, mm. are you in favor of a carbon tax? Uh, at the moment, yes. At the moment, what we have, yes, but it's not sufficient. But it is the right now with the with the policies that we have and with the economy that we have, it's the best uh, way. Uh, to be honest, at the moment, nothing is done properly. That's the reality. And nobody's really fighting for the environment. You don't think so? No. No, and no, there's not one government that is doing it properly. And I am extremely disappointed with what's going on. And a lot of people are very disappointed with what's going on and with the, with the decisions that are taken by the, the Trudeau government. Because at the end, you know, like it was a, it was a government that is elected on promises, uh, that there's promises on the environment. A lot of progressists, uh, a lot of progressive people decided to vote for them because they thought that, oh, well, they have the best chances to take power. Uh, they have a certain policy on the environment and, um, uh, and they're going to be doing much more, right? But they, they haven't. And now we'll see now with the, because now there's going to be a plan for, for transition after this, this crisis that we're, we're going through and that we're still in it right now. Um, and, um, uh, and as I said a bit earlier, uh, people vote uh, for governments. Um, and I feel like now um, after this crisis and how uh, the governments opened uh, the banks and, and just gave money to the population, money that will save our economy in a certain way, okay? Um, uh, they're capable. They have the capacity uh, to, to, to make things better for Canadians, okay? Uh, there's no excuse into not transitioning into a sustainable uh, economy and, and, and transition into a green economy and to invest in green infrastructure. There's, there's a need to create some jobs and we need to take this, this opportunity to, to invest uh, properly. And I hope that the, that the Trudeau government will take the right decision uh, for my generation and the next um, so the question has to be asked then if you were in power right now if you were in justin trudeau's shoes what would you do differently uh with the covid19 crisis with any with in general with making sure that we're set up for future generations uh, we, we need to implement a, a uh, to bring forward a, a green new deal we need to transition into a different kind of economy that takes everybody into considerations. And uh, we need to stop uh, uh, helping out the big champions of our, the big champions of our, of our economy uh, and the big corporations. That is, that's just not the way it works. And um, uh, like we cannot go back into, in time um, there is an economical crisis. A lot of people thought a lot of people thought that um, during the last uh, economical crisis that um, uh, that we will be transitioning into a more uh, equal and just uh, economy, but this did not happen. The richest became 
even more rich, uh, smaller companies were eaten by, by, and medium companies were eaten by, by the, the big corporations, and uh, equality just kept on going. Uh, so now that we are in a new uh, economical crisis, we need to get into something uh, that, is, that takes everybody into considerations all Canadians into considerations. And um, um, as I said, now the, the governments and, and people understood that governments are able to, to, to help us and they do make a difference with their policies. The next time somebody is gonna be in front of a, uh, a, a ballot, they will expect uh, this MP to do something for him or her or them. So, um, so yeah, like I see us doing it differently. And about the COVID-19 crisis, I don't think if, if it was a green government that would have been in place, um, uh, first of all, um, uh, the conservative the conservatives uh, did a lot of costs, uh, uh, cuts in our, in our, uh, uh, public services, okay? Um, the liberals didn't necessarily, they, they did not do it better. Like they didn't, they did not help it uh, to get better, okay? Um, uh, the Greens, we would listen to the scientists, okay? Uh, and make sure that we are not vulnerable uh, to a lack of production of, um, uh, of uh, health equipments, for example, or just um, in production of any of, uh, of the materials that are essentials, uh, essential to, to fight crises. So what, what this made us realize is, is at the end, by, like being in a, in a capitalist world and, and in a, uh, where, where it's all about uh, 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 capital and uh, globalization, okay? Um, uh, the fact that that everything is produced outside, okay, um, makes us extremely vulnerable to crises. We need to understand that there's going to be other crises coming up in the future. And um, um, I'm talking about pandemics, you know. It's, um, I, and I'd like to just mention something about that, if you don't mind. Like, and I know I'm switching into something else. No, and it's actually really good because we'll transition into uh, COVID-19 because that is the topic that people are talking about right now. Mm-hmm. And there's a big thing with going on saying, were we prepared for COVID-19? Were we prepared for a pandemic? At the beginning of the uh, the year, we saw Justin Trudeau ship ventilators, masks to China when we weren't being prepared for ourselves here. So I've got to ask the question, how do we prepare for the next issue? We we saw SARS in Toronto. We saw Ebola. Now we're in COVID-19. There's going to be another pandemic. You can't not expect one in 2020 to say that we're going to be safe for the rest of our lives is just not realistic. So how does Canada prepare itself for the next pandemic? Okay, so let me start from the way I see it from my own perspective. Okay. Okay. It's like, you know, that since the 1980s, there has been a rise, like emergence of new diseases a bit everywhere in the world. Okay. One of the new diseases is, is COVID-19 virus. And, and it, you know, it, like in the 80s, it coincides with the, with the globalized community chains and the ascendancy of neoliberalism. Uh, so capitalism is fundamentally a project to reorganize nature, to increase capital. That's what it is, okay? And this way of pushing nature to its limit will lead to catastrophe because capital doesn't have a limit and doesn't have a conscience, okay? It's, it's, it's until the end, okay? But, but the planet is not able to support this, uh, this, uh, this economy. Uh, the system is failing us, okay? Uh, corporations run on, on how much profit will be made and what will be presented to the shareholders. Now, let's go back to the emergency of the virus, okay? In the 90s, and I'm talking specifically to the COVID-19. In the 90s, China went from being a, a sustainable uh, farming uh, millennial old um, uh, ways, okay, to a uh, meat-centric uh, food production. Okay, uh, small farmers who couldn't uh, compete with with factory farms uh, were encouraged by the governments to go into um, a wild animal trade. All right, this is what led to the SARS outbreak and in two thousand and three. 
I think. And 2000, what, yep, 2003, Ontario, and, yep. And, and this is what led uh, to this crisis that we have. You know, similar stories, and you mentioned Ebola a bit earlier, like, and, and I'm, I'm happy to be able to discuss this, okay, because I'm, I'm telling you, the environment um, needs to be taken as a whole. Uh, this, the climate crisis needs to be taken as a whole, okay? So similar stories happen all over the world, okay? Um, uh, when, and it's every single time it's the same. It's when market forces and, and state policy uh, create a rapid um, um, uh, destabilization uh, of, uh, of uh, local, uh, local system, ecological systems. So in, for example, in, in West Africa, um, when uh, when locals uh, turned to to bush meat, uh, when Europeans arrived on their with their fishing boats uh, uh, on the coasts, uh, invading the, the the fishing grounds, so the the locals they turned to to bush meat to feed themselves. That's when there was outbreaks of, of Ebola and uh, and uh, HIV. Even. Okay, um, and uh, the same thing happened in the Congo Basin uh, when uh, roads were built uh, to expand the reach uh, of, of mining. Okay, uh, that allowed, well, deforestation allowed um, uh, hunters uh, to access um, to access inaccessible forested regions. That, so this was another outbreak of, of Ebola. Um, uh, deforestation and, and climate change expand the habitat of, of mosquitoes, okay? And um, uh, that carry diseases like the dang Zika. Remember there was like a Zika and, and we still, we haven't been talking about it that much, but um, like uh, everywhere where there was the, I think the tiger, uh, the tiger mosquito, uh, there, yeah. was Zika, there was a Zika outbreak. There's a, there's malaria that is transmitted by, by mosquitoes. Um, it became more, more uh, common in the last few years. So uh, declining biodiversity uh, resulted another thing. That's another example. It's like when um, Declining bio biodiversity uh, resulted in growth of, of some species um, um, carriers of diseases like the white, um, um, like the robins, for example, that carry uh, Lyme disease and, and the West Nile disease. So it's um, uh, the environmental crisis needs to be addressed as a whole, like I said, uh, because every facet of it from extinction, okay, uh, to climate change has the potential to produce more diseases and um, uh, yeah so it's uh, we need to take it um, all together uh, and um, uh, like even let's say when we have more floods um, or when the temperature will change we will get mosquitoes or uh, certain types of animals carriers of diseases coming uh, into to other regions that they weren't there before and this this will just spread diseases uh, pandemics are related with climate change. And so when, when I hear people saying, oh, well, you know, nobody's going to talk about the environment for the next elections. Everybody will be talking about the economy. I think they are super connected. And everybody needs to be aware of that. So, so how, do, how do we fix it? How do we fix the solution? How do we fix... Uh, COVID-19 right now. I know we're trying to find a vaccine. That's great. It's, a, it's what we need to do. But how in today's society, I know you're going to say Green New Deal. We need to implement a potential Green New Deal. But how, how do we start? What's step one? To be honest, it's, and, and I'm not even talking about the Green New Deal, but the COVID-19 virus, we don't even know how what will happen in the near future we don't know if this this virus will evolve into something else and and uh, modify genetically and and uh, uh, become a virus that comes seasonally just like the flu we don't know how things will will uh, what things what what will happen okay um but there's a need uh, for change and i am not an economist okay but we need to uh, and a Green New Deal, it's a brand. We understand that, right? And I think you understand that it's a brand at the end. Yeah. But we need to study. We need to talk to specialists. We need to talk to scientists to figure out what we need to do to transition into an economy that is just and sustainable for everyone. And that will work will for everyone. Because until now, 
it's us that have been working for it and not the other way around. Uh, by the sounds of it and by the uh, comments you've made in the last few minutes here, you are not a fan of capitalism. You are a socialist. You are a self-described socialist. What does socialism mean to you? <laughs> Go for it. Come on. That's always, that's always the question, you know, like, like what, is, what does it mean to you? Well, it means a lot of things, but it's, um, uh, and it's something that people are, uh, you know, I'm telling you something, and I want to. I want to be clear on that. Ever since I I, uh, I launched my uh, my video and I launched my campaign, I've been having a lot of people like reaching out to to us and saying and coming out as socialists. Okay, and that's what has been happening. Okay, uh, what socialism what socialism means? Okay, and it's a new kind of socialism because it's related to uh, to uh, the the climate emergency, the climate crisis that we're in. Okay, uh, we need to realize that we cannot fight climate change if people are still struggling to survive, okay? If we want true action on climate change, we need to make sure that everyone is living in dignity and that we can fight it all together. And I'll give you an example. Um, imagine a single mother, okay, in rural, rural Canada with three children, and that um, I'm giving you an example that is... <sighs> appropriate in the circumstances, okay, uh, that works night shifts uh, at Tim Hortons, okay, um, like she, there is no reasonable way that she, that we can ask her to recycle properly, uh, given the everyday pressure she's, she's facing, uh, just to be able to survive. Uh, the same thing, and not only recycle, but the way, uh, what, what kind of uh, food uh, she is eating and she's giving to her children. Um, so, as I said a bit earlier, um, uh, the economy needs to work for us and not us for it. So, um, and the current system that we, we have been living in, is, is it, it, it's not improving our life. So why do you think socialism is such a derogatory term today? People today on the right will say, you are a socialist. That's the first thing you'll hear when you talk about opposing something that they believe in. Um, they will say, you are a socialist, you don't believe in Canada, so on and so forth. Why do you think, from a socialist perspective, why do you think socialism has become such a derogatory term in today's society? Uh, I, I, uh, I think um, it's because of the uh, historical uh, connotation to it. Uh, but I, I see it as the, something progressive. You, you understand? Like it's, it's about caring for people. And um, uh, I think it's because also that we, we are so close from the U.S. borders. Uh, but even in the, in the U.S. at the moment, there's millions of people that adore Bernie Sanders and, and uh, AOC uh, that are uh, openly socialists, and um, there's and there's more and more Canadians that uh, they 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 love them too, and they love what they are fighting for. Uh, socialists fight for everybody. Uh, they fight for Canadians, so for everyday Canadians. So um, uh, I don't see it as a negative word, uh, but we need to make uh, educate people on the word and on what it portrays and, and on what it is. We'll jump back into some policy issues here, if that's okay. Um, yeah. One of the big uh, things that I try to advocate on this show and try to bring a different perspective on the show is indigenous issues. Mm -hmm. um, indigenous communities founded this great country that we live in today. Mm -hmm. uh, we are on unceded territory right now of Treaty 7. Mm -hmm. How that where I am, uh, I, I'm not sure what uh, territory or which uh, uh, reserve or First Nations you'd be near, but I'm on Mohawk uh, territory. Oh, you're on Mohawk. Okay, I was wondering if you were on Mohawk. I didn't know. I am from uh, southern Ontario, so I was from the Iroquois uh, area. So, um, to be to be blunt, has 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 Canada failed our Indigenous communities? Yes. Definitely. How do we how do we fix that? Uh, we need to advocate for decolonization and uh, support indigenous resistance movements. 
um, when they want to protect their territory. Uh, we need to uh, encourage their sovereignty. Uh, we need to listen to them. We need to let them speak for themselves. And that's when um, uh, true reconciliation will happen. It's when we see them as equal instead of um, something that is outside of us and that we don't need to take care of. And uh, as I said before, um, uh, they have—they are the most important. Um, uh, they will be pioneers for for uh, a green new deal and uh, and the movement that I want to bring forward. We we live in a society where, well, I live in a province that is advocating for pipelines, uh, and we see First Nations divided on the issue. We see some First Nations who want pipelines, some First Nations who don't. How do you balance that? As a potential leader of a federal party, how do you balance the needs of one community against the wants of another? Um, it's you know when the uh, there is infrastructures that will be um, that will be built um, in the future that are um, like forget about the pipelines because we are in a climate emergency and there's for sure we need to stop building pipelines and and, and to invest in fossil fossil fuel industry that that's for sure okay uh, but um, in when we are transitioning into a green economy and that we are building infrastructure that is green infrastructure we need to make sure that these community communities um, uh, make profit out of it uh, it needs to stay within their hands with their own sovereignty and this is how you can um, I think this is this is how people will be, uh, and of course, it's with talk. We need to talk to them. We need we need to see them as equals. Yeah. One of the big things that has been on the minds of all Canadians, and you see it in the news, not as much right now with COVID-19 and mm-hmm. uh, protests across the country, mm-hmm. um, is access to clean drinking water. Mm-hmm. A basic human right. A basic human right that we as Canadians have failed in so many ways. Yeah. We have government after government after government make promise that we will get it done. We will make sure drink, clean drinking water gets to all First Nations and all reserves across Canada. It still has not happened. How do, we, how do you change that? How, while you have to get it there, how do you have the, the political capital and will to do it? Because you have to balance everyone out and... We haven't seen that yet. Exactly from the from the uh, the governments. I'm ashamed of uh, of what the governments and the, the the decisions that were taken. I'm ashamed of what uh, colonialism did to our indigenous uh, communities. So for sure that they will be a priority. Uh, they they will be uh, the first priority of a green uh, of a green government. I am ashamed, I'm telling you. Like, I think it's unacceptable. Where do you stand on the United Nations Declaration of Indigenous People? Uh, we, need to, uh, we need to respect it, and uh, we need to go ahead with it, and uh, everybody needs... And at the same time, it's... Uh... Like the question, the reason I asked them, their own decisions at the end, like it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, the, the Indian act is a racist act and, uh, indigenous communities need to take decisions for themselves. You literally just took my last. And we need to help them. Uh, like I said, we need to support what they want and we need to help them, uh, in with all the, all the movements that they want to create and in, their resist, resistance, and I am all for decolonization. It's very important. You literally took the last question out of my mouth about uh, the Indian, Indian Act and if it, uh, how, how do we fix it? Because that's the thing that most people have an issue. Do we just get rid of it from day one? If a Green Party under your leadership gets elected, do they get rid of it? It's the it's the indigenous communities that need to take this decision. It's not going to be if they they want to get rid of it, we will get rid of it. That's what's going to happen. Good to hear. Um, before we wrap up here, I have one last area that I want to talk about because I'm from a rural community in southern Ontario, so rural communities have a place in my little heart. How do you connect with the rural communities? Green um, green green party 
the Green Party has tra- traditionally done well in urban centers. Uh, we see with Fredericton, we see with Victoria, we see provincially. Uh, PEI is a little outlier because you see that they've uh, uh, got elected in rural and in urban centers in PEI. Uh, no, New, Brun- New Brunswick has three in urban centers. Toronto, Guelph is in an urban center. So mm-hmm. they've traditionally done well in urban centers. Mm-hmm. Why haven't they connected well with rural voters? Uh, it's a question of communication i guess is it because yeah because our policies are for them also um uh, i mean not all rural community uh, uh, not all ru- rural communities are um uh, are doing agriculture uh but we we want we want to help uh, local farmers too. We want to encourage uh, local farmers. Uh, we want to create jobs uh, in our local communities also. And uh, this was in our platform. So why are we not uh, connecting? I'm sure it's going to be happening in the future. Um, I have no doubts about that. Um, if we're presenting something uh, that makes sense and that we are clear on for who we stand for, um, there is no reason why they wouldn't uh, vote for us and they wouldn't connect with us. Okay. Now, October, I think, October 11th, October 12th is the leadership vote. It's, um, it's actually from the 3rd of September until the 3rd of October. 3rd of October, but yes. the convention in P in Charlottetown is mm. in October well, sometime. Not, is it going to happen or not? To be honest, that's true. I, with the current uh, crisis, and I don't think um, uh, I don't think PEI wants to have uh, a lot of people coming from all over Canada and maybe spreading the virus into the uh, this island. I, I don't think it's a, mm-hmm. I don't I wouldn't think that that's what PEI would want. Um, but we don't know how uh, what the, what the future will bring us with this uh, with this virus. Uh, now it's important for uh, for people that want to join and to participate in our movement. Uh, to become members before the 3rd of September. So because after that deadline, they won't be able to participate in the current leadership race. So like uh, for your competitors, I will link your uh, website address and the website address to join the Green Party and support Miriam in the show notes below. So if they want to, they can click on it, learn a little bit more, join the party, support your candidacy if they want. Um, But before we do wrap up here, I have two sets of questions left. One is, if you become leader in October of the Green Party of Canada, what's the first thing that you will have to do? Is it A, get elected? B, connect with all Canadians from coast to coast to coast? Or C, restructure the Green Party to make it a more local grassroots support? Uh, or is there a D? Uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, it would be uh, a new, innovative, and courageous election plan. But that part of it, there is the restructure of the the the, the, uh, the re- restructure of the uh, of the of the Green Party of Canada, a decentralization, and um, and working uh, and and to become like inclusive with uh, NGOs, social justice groups. And uh, marginalized groups to attract cat talent towards us. So part of this uh, election plan that we want to put forward, because that's going to be my priority, it's to work for the next elections. Um, uh, these steps need to be part of it. Um, so that's how I see it. <laughs> so you don't plan on running in any by-election potentially in before um, the next election. I will, uh, and uh, it's going to be a decision of the party. I'm somebody uh, that will be a spokesperson. Uh, I'm there to um, uh, represent the members, and we need to understand that it's a grassroots party. Uh, it's very important to keep that in mind. We are like, I believe the, the uh, this is what makes us special compared to other uh, uh, federal parties, um, that we are really uh, truthfully a grassroots party. Um, I will go ahead with what uh, the, the, the party will decide. Uh, but for sure, it's a, there's a big possibility that I will uh, run during a by-election for sure. Mm. 
Perfect. Now, my last question, but it's not a question. It's more of an opportunity for yourself. Mm -hmm. I've given this to all your competitors. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you two to five minutes. Pitch yourself to my listeners. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so I see, uh, I see the Greens okay, leading a movement uh, to build a Green New Deal for all, a movement uh, built by the indigenous communities, the activists, the environmentalists, and the grassroots of our party, and the progressives, so that the progressives feel at home with us. I see uh, the party uh, becoming a safe space uh, with MPs that look like everyday Canadians. Uh, and um, I see the party becoming stronger and more influential uh, in Ottawa. Uh, I see us becoming the watchdog of the parliament uh, that will have the political courage to stand up in front of anyone. And the moment I become the leader, I will start working to, to get us there. Because for, like I said, for our generation and the next, it's just not a possible not a possibility for us to stay uh, where we are. Uh, the status quo is not something possible. Change is needed and the future is ours. We just need to take it uh, in our hands. Awesome. Thank you very much for this. Like I said before, the link to your website, Miriam, and your and to join the party will be in the show notes to anyone listening. Uh, click in, uh, Go look at our website. It's actually a really good read. I had an interesting time. I've had an interesting time talking to all all the Green Party leaders. Uh, so I want to thank you for this opportunity for to sit down and talk. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, Christopher. It's it's much appreciated. Thank you very much. No problem. And once again, thank you to our guest for coming in and sitting down today. It was greatly appreciated. As I've said in the introduction, this podcast is about having a conversation. I learned a lot in this interview, and I really hope you did too. This podcast couldn't have happened without our listeners. From here in Alberta to across Canada and around the world, I want to take this moment and thank everyone for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. The links are in the show notes. Or visit our website at www.crossborderinterviews.ca. We will be back here next Saturday with another great episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. This podcast is produced and owned by Miranda Brown and Associates. I'm your host, Christopher Brown. Once again, have a safe and hopefully talkative week. Mm-hmm.